Well, we're going to be reading Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. It's Jesus after he's risen from the dead, all those songs that we just sung about. On that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and they said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Or we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of it, is, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken, what is not necessary, that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, that, and that day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray one more time. Lord Jesus, as we uh, heard those words again, uh, we are reminded, oh God, that uh, the resurrected Jesus is working among his people. And just like you met with those two uh, early disciples on that seven mile road between Jerusalem and Emmaus, would you meet us here, uh, Lord, in, in Royalton? Will you uh, walk with us and explain to us more about you and more about what you're doing. Open our eyes and our hearts for my sisters and brothers, Lord, encourage them where they are 
And for those who are here who are yet to believe in Jesus, Lord, may they be drawn to you today because of the word of God, which points to Jesus. We ask for your help in Christ's name. Amen. It's so good to be back with you. Uh, it was just a year ago, um, actually September 11th last year, I was here. We want to look at the story before the story. And uh, the text that uh, was just read is the story before what you'll be looking at soon uh, as a church, the book of Acts. I'll give you a story before a story. If you head down Interstate 89 into New Hampshire and get down to exit 6, there's a little village there called Kentuckuk. Uh, Kentucky is part of the town of Hopkinton. You know how New England towns fight over borders. Well, they're actually, it's just one town of Hopkinton, but Kentucky is a specific village. And uh, next week, Sharon, my wife, and I will be able to be at the what was the Kentucky Baptist Church. is now called Countryside Community Church, where we were. My first pastorate was there from 1987 till 1997. We'll be celebrating their 200th anniversary. I mean, that's, think about it. A church that was founded in 1823, faithful to Jesus all these years, still going. And uh, the three living pastors uh, that, that have remained uh, will be there, and we each get to share a little bit. Just sort of exciting. A little bit about my backstory. So I pastored there from 1987 to 1997. And then my wife and I and our five children moved down to be on staff. I was on staff at a large church in York, Pennsylvania. Church, when we got there, about 1,200 people. Yeah, big church. And uh, we were there for five years. And... Uh, it was, it, my wife is from Maryland, so it was really close, really good to be close to the in-laws and, and the cousins, and it was a, a good time. And then in the, excuse me, in the fall of 2001, the Lord started gnawing on us, hitting us about coming back to New Hampshire and planting a church. And so, after a lot of wrestling with God, because I didn't want to come back to New England, <coughs> excuse me, um, I wanted my own swimming pool, and it doesn't make sense to have one here. Um, it's a terrible goal in life. And so uh, we came back in 2002 and planted the River of Grace Church in, in Concord, New Hampshire. And from 2002 until last year, uh, 2022, I was the pastor of River of Grace Church. And then came on staff full-time with Acts 29, which is a church playing network, a small network, but a church around the globe, about 700 churches, uh, and came on staff there. And I'm still an elder. I'm a really bad elder. I'm only down at uh, River Grace about two Sundays a month. But there are four other elders. They're all young. They're all like in their 30s. In fact, only two were alive when I started pastoring, and they were one years old then. So we have one-year-olders here who might be elders here someday. <laughs> Eric, thank you. Um, there's points in heaven for bringing a child a glass of water. So imagine how many points you just earned for bringing. No, just kidding. <laughs> I tell you that backstory because because what you will be looking at in the book of Acts in the next uh, journey as a church, we get the backstory today. We get the story before the story. And if you were to look back at the story of Cornerstone, this church, you, there would be a backstory. It goes to East Randolph, and East Randolph has a backstory. 
And as we think about our own personal lives, one of the questions I want you to think about as you might want to take notes, and this would be for personal application, is what is Jesus doing in us now before he was doing the next thing through us? In other words, what is he doing in us now before he's going to do something through us? He is at work among his disciples, and, and I'm going to use the context of church planting because Acts, the book of Acts, is all about churches being planted. That's, that's what it's about. It's the Acts of the Apostles as churches are being planted all around uh, the Mediterranean and what we know, now know as, as Greece and Turkey. So, the story that we just read happened on the Sunday afternoon of Resurrection Sunday. In fact, the reason the Christian church meets on Sundays and not the Sabbaths is because this, the, work of the, the work of the Sabbath was celebrating the, the first work great of God that we understand is creation. But now he's doing this great work of redemption, and so we've moved our day of worship from Saturday till Sunday. This is Sunday afternoon, the very first Sunday. Jesus, the tomb is empty. I mean, the disciples are like, what has happened? They, they, they're blinded to all that Jesus said, that the Messiah must suffer, as he explains here. And, and women had gone down to anoint the, the body, which was, was customary. The tomb was open. The body wasn't there. They came back saying, we saw angels. And, and the disciples are having a hard time hearing it. And so now these two disciples are heading home. We don't know why. They, they probably lived in Emmaus. And maybe they had to get back to work. Maybe they had left their kids with babysitters. And it was like, you know, we can't afford more babysitting hours. Um, we don't know why, why they were heading back up the road. Uh, but it's pretty certain that they lived there. Maybe they had shops to attend to. Maybe one of their wives was pregnant. Actually, there's a, there's a strong theory that these, this, this, these two people journeying were actually a husband and wife. Um, and and uh, in fact, Grudem, who helped uh, translate the, the ESV Bible we're reading from, he, he actually thinks that's a very plausible argument. That because husbands and wives argue, right? They're arguing, right? They're, they're, like, they're, so there's a lot. They're they're hustling up the road. They're debating. They're discussing. They're discouraged. It says they're discouraged. They'd, they'd, they'd heard about the gruesome, gruesome death of their rabbi, the rabbi that they believed was politically going to lead their country out of the chaos of being under Roman rule. Like they thought the Messiah was going to lead a revolution and now he is dead. And to add to it, there's this, there's this swirling like his body's missing and there's these whack women who say they've seen an angel and the angels are saying he's resurrected and like... This is, this is what's happening. This is the story before any church was ever planted. So what does Jesus do before the first church was ever planted? And what is he doing among us? First thing, Jesus walks with common Christians. That's the first. If you're taking notes, number one, Jesus walks with common Christians. It is so profound to me, to, to, to all of us, I think, that Jesus appears to these, I mean, we have Cleopas' name, we don't have the other person's name, but like, we don't even know, there's not much, there's no, there's like, there's another guy that has a similar spelling, his name was Cleopas, and he's married to Mary, who's mentioned in the Bible, we don't know if that's the same person, but like, this is a, this is like, just a common 
everyday ordinary Christian. And Jesus chooses to show up to them first. This says something. We have fallen prey to platform Christianity, the big names. And God bless the big names who are faithful to Jesus. Like one of my heroes just died, Tim Keller. He made it like he stayed faithful till he died. Like he was one of my heroes. There are some wonderful big name people. But Jesus doesn't play favorites with them. He speaks to you as a mom, as a teenager, as an old guy. Like Jesus is among the common people. It's interesting, throughout the New Testament, there are about 175 Christians named. Actually, at the end of Rome, Romans, Paul mentions about 25 uh, other Christians. And this happens like 25 years later from where we're, we're reading right now. Actually, 29 ordinary people. He mentions all these people. And why is this so important? Because before we think about what Jesus wants to do through us, whether that's planting a church or just in our personal lives, he, we need to understand that Jesus is walking with ordinary Christians. That means you. Let that be an encouragement. Like, God doesn't have special, like, um, special secret meetings with important people. Like, Pastor Aaron and the elders don't get together, and Jesus somehow has secrets, and, and he has a special attention. Like, Jesus, he is, he, is, he is so close to the common, everyday Christian. And he, one of the reasons he shows up in this story is to remind us that Jesus walks with common Christians. There's a church down in Worcester, Mass. called Emmaus City Church. There is a church planting family of churches uh, started in, in um, Melrose, Mass. called Seven Mile Road Churches. And part of their, their theme is that Jesus meets with common people. That should be an encouragement to us. Jesus walks with us and is working among common people. Yes, he often recruits leaders. The... the, the the, the church in its history is, is built on leaders who faithfully follow the teachings of Jesus, who qualify according to biblical um, qualifications. But the work that Jesus does is done through the common Christian. Are you ordinary? Do you feel a little unknown? Perhaps to most you're just nameless. You wonder, out of the 8 billion people, or how many people are on this planet, like, do I really matter? And if there's something this story tells us, that when Jesus breaks death and conquers our great last enemy that's going to take us all out, and he conquers it, he wants you to know he's walking with you, the common follower of Jesus. And he has a plan. He has a plan. And that takes us to the second point. So if you're taking notes, I've got four points. Okay, we got through, got through one. We're all, you know, stay awake with me. Hang in there. The first one is that Jesus walks with common Christians. And as we ask this question, what's the backstory or what does Jesus do before any church is planted or what is Jesus doing in your life before he's going to call you to do something through you? The second thing is Jesus addresses three things. He addresses disputes, discouragement, and doubts. They all appear in the text. Actually, the word doubts appears after uh, in some of the verses that weren't read this morning. But 
look back in verse 14. Together they were discussing. This is the two, Cleopas and his buddy or his wife, we don't know. Um, together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, they were arguing. I don't know about you, but, you know, arguments are common in my life. Whether it be with my adult children, whether it be with the other elders, whether I'm just arguing, you know, we just argue, right? It's, it's unfortunately part of the human nature. Look what happens here. Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him, which is a unique thing. Their eyes were blinded to what Jesus is doing. By the way, your eyes and my eyes are often blinded to what Jesus is doing in this very place. Verse 17. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas says, answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? And then Jesus goes on to say, what things? Like, he doesn't know. He's the resurrected Lord. He was the one who was on the cross, but he's trying to draw out. But let's just skip that for a moment. We didn't read this, but if you have your Bibles, jump down to verse 36. And as they were saying these things, okay, so, so Jesus... Um, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but, but, but the disciples are now here from these two people that Jesus has appeared to them, and they're gathered in Jerusalem. And Jesus himself stood in their midst, and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled, he asked them, and why do doubts arise in your heart? I've been with track with Jesus seriously since I was 14 years old. I came to Jesus when I was a little guy baptized when I was eight. I remember my first communion. I remember just like just like why Jesus came to a little guy, I don't understand. It's it's such an amazing story. People say that oh, I came to Christ as a child. I don't have a great testimony. Are you kidding? Christ saves children? That's amazing. Anyway, that's another, another, another thing. But in, in that process of following Jesus, these three things haunt me personally. Disputes, discouragement and doubts. And so Jesus walks, joins this couple, two guys, two buddies, two neighbors who live in Emmaus, or husband and wife. They're arguing about, could this have really been the resurrection? Could the angels, were these women like, were they seeing a real vision? What's going on? Like, why did our Messiah die? We had so much hope that he'd bring peace on earth. What has happened? And Jesus joins them. And, and Jesus enters into their argument, their dispute. Because think of it, two Christians typically have two different opinions. That's right, all right? Like, that's, that's happened, right? Like, um, my uncle who led my dad to Christ, my uncle was, became a Presbyterian pastor, and my dad became a Baptist pastor. And guess what they argued about? Water. <laughs> and when you're baptized. All right. And so these guys, so like, what does Jesus do? He asks some clarifying questions. What's this dispute you're having? And then they, they say, well, haven't you heard what's happening in Jerusalem? He said, what things? Like, I, I love how Jesus is trying to draw out the real issue here. And later on, he, he asks the disciples, why do you allow doubts to arise in your heart? Now, the very next thing Jesus does to address the disputes, discouragement, and doubts is he takes them to Scripture. Isn't that wonderful? Often our arguments, we're trying to settle somewhere out here and we just like, don't go to Scripture. And Scripture really helps. Um, 
And so Jesus, he takes them to Scripture and explains, hey, didn't it say about... And remember, they don't know this is Jesus. He says... Uh, where have you been? Like, haven't you read the Bible? The, the, the Old Testament teaches, and he shows them how the Messiah must suffer many things. You know, when it comes to these three things, discouragement, the Bible says, you know, the number one command of Scripture, right? Fear not. Someone said there's, it's, 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 it's stated 365 days, like there's a fear not for every day of the year. So discouragement, like, fear not. Why? Jesus is king. He runs everything. Do we believe his providence rules over all things? Fear not. So don't, don't doubt. And, 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 or, I'm sorry, don't be discouraged. And then on the doubt, he says, hey, peace be among you. I'm here. You know what Jesus says to this church right here, Cornerstone? He says, where two or three are gathered in my name. And now that context of that text has to do with church discipline. The hardest thing a church has to do is, is determine what to do with a person who claims to be a Christ but is not following the teaching of Jesus. And they're not responding to, to encouragement to return or rebukes. And the church has to sit there and determine what to do with them. And Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in that context, I'm right there in the midst. So how much more is he in? With our, so Jesus is here. So that, that drives away doubts. His promise to, that, that he rules over things to fear not, it drives away discouragement, doubts. And then he says, all through Scripture, it says, don't argue with each other. <laughs> uh, Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining and arguing. I don't know about you, but the church I pastored, like, that should have been our theme for 2020. Do everything without complaining and arguing. 2 Timothy 2.14, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value, and all your ruins those who listen. 2 Timothy 2.23-24, do don't, uh, don't have anything to do with the foolish and stupid arguments, because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. Titus chapter 3, one of the qualifications for the highest level, mature person in the church, an elder. They must avoid quarreling. Now, that doesn't mean we don't discuss things. We don't wrestle too hard issues. We have to do that. It just means we don't allow emotions to take over. That's what quarreling is, right? Like, rather than just staying gentle and kind and understanding and listening, it's when emotions take over. Why do I share all this? Because what Jesus does before he plants the first church, what Jesus is doing in your life before he wants to do the next thing, is he wants to address disputes, discouragement, and doubts. Those three things. That's what he's addressing here. These, these become to Jesus important things before he plants his first church. I don't want you guys to be a, 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 a group of people known to be arguers. I don't want you to be people who live in discouragement. Like, your father is a king of heaven. I don't want you to be just a people of doubt. What else does Jesus do? Third thing, Jesus reveals himself. Twice in this text, he reveals himself. First, it's through probably communion, or at least a version of it, perhaps. 
there's a lot of debate about this, but we, re we read the text in verse 30. It says, it was as Jesus reclined at the table with them, the two, Cleopas and his buddy or Cleopas and his wife, or we don't know, but he's reclining there. And he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. I mentioned to you I really started following Jesus when I was 14 because this is what happened. I believed in Jesus when I was a little guy. Baptized, kind of followed Jesus along. It wasn't until I was a teenager I really became awoken to the struggle with my own personal sin. And I was, it was just a, a huge wrestle of around the time of I was 13, 14. And I was working at a camp that summer, a Rumney Bible Conference. And the staff got together before we launched the summer ministry. And we had some training. And it ended with this worship service and communion. And that communion was to me the most profound communion I can remember. Because as a young guy at 14, I was wrestling with my, my own struggle with sin and the goodness of Jesus. I can remember that night it was raining. I had my yellow like uh, rain, rain jacket on and we just had communion. I was overwhelmed by the fact that Christ died for David and all my sins, past, present, future, forever forgiven. He fully welcomed me and my eyes were awoken to how he loved me. And he revealed himself to me, not through the audible, not through some weird, but just through communion. And we find this pattern that Jesus reveals himself as they are breaking bread. He reveals himself also through his word. We see this pattern as he's talking with them in verses uh, 33, the very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together. So, the seven-mile road, that takes about, if you're walking at a good pace, that's two and a half hours. They were probably arguing and dilly-dallying, so it probably took them three hours. It said when they got there and Jesus was acting like he was going to go on, they didn't know it was Jesus. He said, hey, it's almost dinner time, come in. Stay with us. So it was probably 4.30, 5 o'clock. They get in there. It takes a while. Dinner's made. Jesus reveals himself to the breaking of bread. They go, this is Jesus. And boom, Jesus is gone. What do you do? Do the dishes? No. You get up and go, we got to go back and tell the disciples. And so they get back up. Now we know this, this walk would be fast for two and a half hours. So let's just say they get into, into Jerusalem by, let's say, 8.30 at night. The sun is just set. It's dark. And they come. They find the disciples who are gathered together. These disciples don't know what's going on. They have women. This, remember, this is Sunday night. This is Resurrection Sunday, first Sunday. So we've got the whole scheme going on here. They're gathered together like, what has happened? And there, the, the, the two show up, Cleopas and his buddy, or Cleopas and his wife, and, uh, and, and they say, we have, we have seen Jesus. This is what happened. They rehearsed the Jesus, and suddenly Jesus appears. Now, what, what did Cleopas and his buddy just recounted? They, they encountered their experience with Jesus and the words that he had taught them. The way Jesus appears to us, he chooses to appear to us. Is, is often through our worship. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, 
was talking about worship. Like he meets us here. I'm, I, I'm almost every Sunday driven to tears as we sing about Christ conquering death. Turn 60 in a couple weeks and like three quarters of life is over. And like you, you start to think about like where they're going to bury the carcass when I'm dead. And and like how much more can I get done in this life? One of my life goals, my last life goals to die while still in the game. And so like and, and then like I don't like the idea of death. I'm on airplanes a lot. I don't like like if something went wrong with the airplane. I know we're safer in a car, uh, airplane than a car, but I don't think about in a car as much. Um, like, what would happen? Like, and Jesus said, don't worry, I'll be with you. I, uh, he said, though you walk through the valley of shadow of death, you need not fear evil. I'll be with you. Like, this is, the, this is how Jesus reveals himself, through his presence. And often it's through worship. Um, I think, I think we, we do communion every week, but I'm, I'm, again, reminded every week that you're proclaiming his death until he comes and when I've had a really good week and I think I'm better than everybody else in the room I need to be reminded no you're not Christ had to die for you when I had a really bad week and I feel really bad about sins I've wrestled with and all that and I feel like why am I here I'm reminded every week no I died for you and so Jesus reveals himself, and he is revealing himself to you often through his word, often through worship. Those are often the way he reveals himself to us. And as he reveals himself to us, we keep telling this story, this message of the death of Jesus for our sins, this message of the resurrection of Jesus that overcame our sins, this message that Jesus is ruling over all. Like... We're coming up on an election year. I don't know if you noticed that. I live in New Hampshire. It's a little like, it's already intense there. You can't walk down the street without somebody with a political button on already, already. It's crazy. And I used to get wigged out about this stuff. And I realized, you know, I've had this awakening. My king runs everything. And the Psalms say he appoints kings and takes them down. So chill, David. This is the king we follow, and this is how Jesus is revealing himself. And guess what? He's revealing himself to others through us and through the gospel. This fourth thing. What is Jesus doing among us before he plants a church or does the next thing through us? Jesus has sent massive help. That's the fourth thing. Jesus has sent massive help. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. Verse 45 says, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He also said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah has to suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sin will be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you have empowered from on high. Uh, we didn't read that text earlier, but that's how this day ends. This is how Resurrection Sunday, the first Sunday ends. Jesus reminds him of who he is from Scripture, and he says, I'm sending you the Spirit. Friends, we still rely on the same thing. We, we are gathered this morning around this book, and we are relying on the, scripture, the Holy Spirit to work through us. It's kind of like the Scriptures are the rails, and the Holy Spirit is the engine. And as long as we stay on the rails and are run by the engine, we will accomplish what Jesus has for our lives and us as a church. 
You know, the context you'll be studying in Acts is a whole history of church planting. And it, primarily after chapter 9 is all about Paul, just one guy. But other people are planting churches. He's just the one that the Holy Spirit has determined we need to read about him. We don't hear about Thomas going to India. We don't hear about Barnabas going to, uh, no, uh, uh, Titus going to Crete. I mean, we, we know he goes there, but like lots of stuff happened on Crete. Like we, we only have one account of, of really one guy planting churches. But God, through His Spirit, it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, Colossians 1, verse 6 says this, The gospel is growing and bearing fruit all over the world. It's nonstop. It has been happening. And for us to be sitting here, are we in Royalton or South Royalton? I know there's a debate here. Uh, we're, wherever we are, <laughs> Cornerstone, some of you old-timers say, we, we're in South Royalton? No, we're in Royalton. Okay, wherever we are, we're in Vermont. Um, like, you know how long it took for the gospel to get to where you are so you became a believer? Now, I know some of you, most of you, many of you didn't come to Christ in Vermont. But people are coming to Christ here because the gospel continues to spread. This is going to be a shocker to you, but there is not a command in the Bible to plant churches. There's a command in the, gospel, in the Bible to declare the gospel of Jesus, make disciples, and when you make disciples, you gather them into groups, which is called a church. So yes, we must plant churches because the gospel is being preached, people are coming to Christ, they need to be shepherded in their local community. So church planting is important. It's an outworking of, of, of the gospel, the Great Commission. Cornerstone here is part of the Village Green Collective. And this year we have been part of seeing a church planted in the rural town of Townsend, Massachusetts. Went public on Easter. And you may have never been to Townsend, but there's a, there's, a, there's a Christian community about this size gathering in the elementary school there seeking to bring more gospel light and truth into that town so more people become followers of Jesus. That's, that's what's happened. In the last, in six weeks, starting August 13th up to October 1, um, I can think of uh, three friends through, through our network, Acts 29. August 13th, the Well Church of Americus, Georgia. That's right next to Plains, Georgia. Americus is where uh, Jimmy Carter actually uh, went to high school, I think, and then moved to Plains. Um, they just went public on August 13th, the Well Church. On September 24th, in a, a rural town similar to this, in Metamora, Illinois, good friend of mine, John Bricker, they launch Partridge Point Community Church. October 1, in the heart of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Midtown Community Church is being launched. Why is this happening? Because the gospel is being proclaimed, disciples being made, they're being gathered for the sake of further witness. I don't know what Jesus wants to do with you with church planting as far as locally. You know, down the road, does Sharon need a church plant or Stratford or Turnbridge? I don't know. But what I do know is as we share the gospel where we live as common people. Remember the first point. Jesus is working among, he's walking among common people. Like we are all, every member of missionary, we're all on mission. Like he is working through us. And he's overcoming those things, our doubts, our discouragement, our disputes. He's overcoming those things. He's addressing them. And he's revealing himself to us and his plans for us. 
and he sent this massive helping. We have his word and his spirit. And so this is how this lands. Remember, I, I said, shockingly enough, even though I work for a church planning organization, there's no command to plant a church. There's a, this is what we're commanded to do. Spread far and wide what Jesus has done in you. What has Jesus done in you? Now, if you're sitting here today and you, you can't answer that question, you say, nothing. We'd love to talk. Like, because when the creator of the universe moves in, things shift. So if nothing's happened... We're glad you're here. We want to talk to you about what Jesus has done in our lives. This is all it's about. It's like, what has Jesus done in you? We, we spread this word far and wide that Jesus, the eternal Christ, has come and taken all of our guilt. You know, there's a bunch of sinners in this room, and, and, and two of them were just up here on stage, Aaron and me. Like, we're like big sinners. Like, you know why we're here? Because Christ has forgiven us. We're not here because we're so good. We're forgiven. So we talk about what Christ has done in us. He's forgiven us. We talk about death. You know, the old churches, I, I love all the windows here, but imagine like this is an old church and like we're surrounded by graveyards and all out there was like Aunt Bertha's grave, grave marker. And, you know, I mean, there was a benefit to actually walking to church by a bunch of dead people. It reminds you, you're going to die. Where are you going? In Jesus, I know you're going to paradise. Like, this is what we talk about. The common Christian talks about this. And as Jesus does this, and we share this gospel, because it says there at the end, you're my witnesses of this. We didn't read that part, but you read the end of this chapter. By the way, you don't have a good devotional plan for this week. Just read Luke chapter 24 over and over again this week. You are his witnesses of what he's done in your life. You talk about where you work. You talk about with your family. You talk about with your kids. You talk about with your neighbors. And you're not telling them how bad you are. You tell them how bad you are. You're just like, I, you know, my life has been changed. Like, I have hope. Even if I have the, you know, like the big C diagnosis and get cancer and, like, it becomes, like, inoperable. And, I, you know, I've been given, like, tw 12 to 18 months. I've got Jesus. He's my hope. We talk about this. And as we do, and people believe. And by the way, you, aren't, you can't make a convert. You can make a disciple, but only God can convert the heart. You just spread that seed, baby. Baby. Why am I calling you baby? Just keep spreading. That's so un-New England. Uh, that's weird. Where'd that come from? Sisters and brothers, spread the seed. <laughs> spread the seed of what Jesus has done and let him do that. And as people come to Christ and they're gathered together, then it's up, up to the church to go, wow, maybe we do need a church in Sharon or we need a church in Turnbridge or we need a Maybe. I don't know. Church planting comes out of God's people, normal, common people who Jesus has overcome their doubts, discouragements, and disputes and has revealed himself to who are empowered by the Word of God and the Spirit of normal people talking about what Jesus has done. And we let Him worry about that as far as what does He want to do next. Remember, this is the backstory. What is Jesus doing in and among us before He does something through us? That's up for Him to determine what He wants to do through us. As Paul would say, Apollos watered, I planted, but God gives the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but it is only God who gives the growth. 
Don't worry about the outcome. Just worry about where you are right now, what Jesus is doing, the backstory. Let him do in you what he wants to do and see what he does through you personally, but through you as a church. We'll trust him with that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our prayer is that you would continue to shape us and make us into the people of God, that you have redeemed us out of darkness. Our sin has been forgiven. We're forever seated as full heirs of everything that's Christ. All this is Christ is ours. You have no favorites. Your daughters and your sons, they all matter the same. And this is all assured because of who Christ is. Lord, I pray that those who are doubting today, would, their doubts would be overcome. Those who are discouraged, they'd be uplifted. Those who are in conflict, I pray, Father, you'd bring peace. And most of all, those in this room who aren't sure that they know you, that they would come to believe in you today. That's our prayer. For your glory and our joy, in Christ's name, amen. All right, you guys can go ahead and stand up. Let's go ahead and continue worshiping. Mm -hmm. 